it left, you know, Marty broken, bitter, and I'm guessing cocaine. Just assume that he's, in a, you know, his face is buried in a mound of cocaine from like 77 to like 87 or something. Jesus. <laughs> Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. <laughs> everybody it's one fucking hour time of course this is the show where we talk about one movie for one fucking hour and i am evan husney joined uh by my two dudes here we got to my left tom fitzgerald in the house big t what's going on hi 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 all right and to my right we have mr marcus herring what's up man What's up, everybody? I'm really excited about tonight's movie. Yeah, man. That's right. It's a big Marcus movie. So very excited. Uh, <laughs> you've been championing and trying to get us to do this one, I feel like, for weeks on weeks now. I finally so. got one in. It's like this one and like... Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> just yeah, kidding. what else? Um, Star Wars, Wars, I think. Dollhouse. So, just a big... Welcome to the Dollhouse was a big Marcus. No, no. We just yeah. did one, didn't we? Uh, uh, did we? <laughs> I'm forgetting every show we've ever done. I have to kind of go with the flow, you know. Yeah. No, something so. came up recently. Uh, who cares? All right. Well, <laughs> anyway. well, Big Marcus's uh, big birthday is coming up uh, a few weeks from now. So I think episode 65. So if two weeks from now, we're on 63 tonight. Two weeks from now, Marcus will unveil his big birthday pick. As uh, <laughs> per tradition here on the show, everybody gets Very uh, excited. Yeah. A, uh, a a a free wheeling birthday pick without influence from the other two. There's uh, bozos. A, no judgment, <laughs> no notes, silent no judgment. Notes. Yeah. Like you can do whatever you want. Yes. And uh, I think we've pushed it a little kind of far to prove that uh, over time. We got to jump uh, next year. We got to up the ante though. Like get some really unacceptable birthday picks, but um, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, okay. like guilty okay. pleasures. Birthdays should be yeah. guilty pleasures almost. You know. Yeah, I agree. I no, agree. just guilty. Just yeah, just guilty. Yeah, just no guilty. pleasure. Guilty watching. Uh, anyway, so yeah, Marcus's picks coming up. A lot of exciting stuff's coming up. Yeah, we have like we're we've almost sketched out the rest of the year. So get ready for a lot yeah. of really interesting announcements. Um, but one thing that's critical to the uh, future schedule, I want to just point out here, um, we are just a few subs away from hitting 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. So please, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube or listening to us uh, off platform, head over to the YouTube channel, hit subscribe, because once we hit 1,000, right. we're going to do... A, our first ever live stream episode. So you'll be able to uh, follow along with us live in the chat. So once we hit a thousand subscribers, we're going to unlock that and announce the date for that and all that happy horse shit. So please like, comment, subscribe. The video helps us. Best get way your, to support uh, the channel. Wake up your grandparents and uh, <laughs> like move their fingers and, and have them smash the, the subscribe yeah. button. Anything. Yeah. <laughs> anything, anything to get us to a thousand. Yeah, we're almost there. We're almost yeah. there. But uh, let's get into tonight's episode. Of course, this is episode 63. We are doing one fucking hour on Martin Scorsese's 1985 picture uh, after hours. So are you guys ready to start that clock? Shall I do that now? Tick tock, motherfucker. Ready. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> clock is starting <laughs> now. <laughs> All right. So just a little backstory on the film for the good people listening at home. 
After Hours, of course, is Martin Scorsese's, as I said, 1985. One Crazy Night, Screwball Noir, starring Griffin Dunn as an uptight New York City office drone named Paul Hackett. Okay. After a failed date with an alluring but troubled woman named Marcy, played by Mm. Rosanna Arquette, and a series of relentlessly unfortunate events, Hackett is left stranded downtown, miles from home, and caught in a paranoid nightmare cycle, losing both control and his own sanity. Uh, AF is a deliriously tense and twisted comedy that remains one of Marty's most inventive and more underappreciated films to this day, according to most. Um, all right, so since this is a you know a big old Marcus fave, I thought maybe we should kick it off to you, Marcus. Why don't you kind of give us your own personal backstory with uh, with this movie? Sure, I I love this movie. It's burned into my psyche. I've seen it probably more times, almost probably on par with Star Wars. How many times I've seen it? And the reason is it's one of these um, films that's in the dad rented it for me category. So oh. and I was like uh, fifth or sixth grade. I lived with my dad. Uh, and I was sort of a bit of a latchkey kid. So he would, he would work, you know, in the summers and I'd be at home all day by myself, but he would hook me up with videotapes. And so he'd go and just rent a bunch of cool stuff for me to watch. And that's how I learned a lot about movies. You know, uh, movies are big on both sides of my family, but, um, you know, he'd rent me like, that's where I first saw Clockwork Orange or Miami Blues, you know, all kinds of these movies that most, most kids probably didn't grow up watching. What's your age here? I think it's like fifth, sixth grade. What's era. your age? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think it's like 11? 10 or 11. Yeah. Oh, yeah. perfect. Clockwork Orange, bingo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, this is one of those. And, uh, you know, it's brought my first, my first Scorsese. This is the first Martin Scorsese oh, movie really? I ever watched. Yeah. That's a good so look. I'd work backwards. You know, I'm like, what? Sure. They aren't all uh, black comedies, you know? Um, the next one was Kundun, yeah. right? <laughs> right, right. Which, and yeah. I liked it. Scorsese, good evening. Um, it. It's my first. It's my first exposure to a lot of this stuff. First time I ever saw a Beehive. First time I ever saw a Mohawk. My first right. exposure to like punk. Right. You know. Um, Damn. It's it's so like uh, you know this is what I thought being an adult was like that you know you you go out of the house late at night you go to a coffee shop you meet a girl you know in the big city you know and that's weirdly that's how I met my wife so I was probably just trying to mimic this wow. movie you know cosplaying and, after hours. Yeah, yeah, I guess wow. so. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, it's. Mm. I don't think it's so deeply embedded in my psyche. If this is one movie I would defend to the death, everybody hated it, I would be like, no, I love this so, movie. I would not be I would not be able to back down from it. So, so. let me just, I, I want to wow. understand, like, so uh, it was one of the stack of rentals. Yeah. And, you know, you were doing, like, Clockwork Orange, whatever. And then, but you were like, uh, you liked it a lot. And so you returned to the well, like, and you mm-hmm. kept renting it. Is that kind of the. Yeah. Yeah. You know how we talked about guilty pleasures that you're trying to like hit that nostalgia button again, you know, or just revisit something to hit that same pleasure zone. So, and you know, when you're a kid, like you, you're, you're breath if you have a vhs tape you watch the same ones i don't know maybe we recorded it at some time i'm not sure but yeah. like you'd watch the same movie over and over and over again oh, or you yes. go back and rent it again or oh, you yeah. know so it has that phenomenon for me <laughs> i got you so tom what's your what's your kind of backstory origin with uh, uh after hours? nothing earth shattering i remember you know i was i like martin scorsese stuff you know i knew it i saw raging bull with my mom 
when I was a little <laughs> kid, and that was kind of weird, <laughs> actually. Like, you, know, you, you fucked my wife, and it was like, <laughs> like assaultive black and white film, but it was really good. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was my mom's into film and stuff, so it wasn't that sure. weird. But right. so I knew Scorsese, so, and I kind of was like not really paying attention to this one. I was like, okay, not going to see that, you know, or, or like, or, or maybe even like half thinking like, oh, I guess maybe he's done, you know, like sort of thinking that. But then I did catch it on cable like two years later or something, like when I was mm-hmm. in high school or something. And I remember he's reading Henry Miller. Right. <laughs> and uh, I was reading Henry Miller and, you know, cause I was a, a pretentious a doofus. And mm-hmm. so a uh, high school kid. And so I was like, Hey, that's kind of surprising and cool. Like I didn't know a Martin Scorsese film could work that way where there's a guy kind of reading, uh, you know, Henry Miller at two in the morning in a cafe. It didn't feel like him, but I liked it. And, but really what got me when I, when I was like, okay, this film's actually officially cool was when he's flipping through the girl's, uh, you know, place and he's flipping through a book of like, um, horrifying burn victim photos. (laughs) And and I was like, Oh, let's go. This is very weird. This is not just weird for like, why is Martin Scorsese making fun like this or wow, he is, but like, this is just like interesting. And, uh, this is not going to be like a cookie cutter. And this is definitely like truly like an indie kind of thing that scene. And then, and and followed through and the rest of the film was like that. And we'll talk Mm -hmm. about it. But it always kind of caught my attention and like, you know, I just throw it on like, you know, every decade or something. And this is mm-hmm. this decade's viewing for the show. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, I'm a fan. Yeah. Yeah. Outside, for me, like if I'd like it if it had nothing to do with him or did or, you know, like. Right. It's sure. just a an interesting yeah. film on its own. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. For me, it was, um, <clears throat> you know, again, you know, I'm not I'm not watching Scorsese movies in the 80s with my with my family. Uh, it was much later in life. Um, I think it was not really, I don't think it was until this movie, I kind of remember After Hours and King of Comedy taking a while to come to DVD. I think it was like in the mid 2000s, these films finally hit DVDs. Maybe that's not right, but I kind of remember that. And there was like a box set that came out and it had King of Comedy and this and, you know, of course I had been well-versed at that time, you know, with Goodfellas and Casino and Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, all the big ones. And then it okay. was kind of discovering this weirder area of Marty's, which I'm sure we're going to talk about a lot tonight, which is like this sort of, you know, 80s period, this post-Raging Bull period is very fascinating in his career. It's a lot of stylistic departures. They were mm-hmm. flops, you know, they're interesting movies. And um, there are weird I, hits that are yeah, uncommon. Like, that's right. Know, the color of money. money. Like, yeah. What? Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's in the way that <laughs> you move Yeah, exactly. So for me, it was like uh, just cool discovery. Like, oh, shit, maybe I really like this side of Marty even more. Like this kind Mm -hmm. of like... you know, and and then of course I'm I'm a you know burgeoning film snob, so it's like here's the contrarian Marty picks are like King of Comedy sure. and and mm-hmm. and and After Hours. You know, shout out to the King of Comedy episode we did you know a few months back um, okay. in the archives. But yeah, so I mean, to me, it's just interesting. And what I think I really love about this movie, I wouldn't say that it ranks at my on my top Marty list, but what I do really like about it is that it, it, it's really like you're you're kind of watching a filmmaker, especially someone of Marty who's probably like, I don't know how old he is at this point. Is he into his 40s or what's going on? He just or, turned 40. Okay, okay, he's 40. And so like, you know, he's obviously, and we're going to get into this, he's a kind of a broken man after, you know, some 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 a flop and a big project fell through. But it's really like him rediscovering like what he loved about movies in the first place. Like going back to his roots, 
low budget indie film trying to kind of invent some new tricks and just sort of have yeah. fun with some like freaks like and getting and down and dirty again like with mean streets that kind of thing because because he had gone through the whole system of hollywood and uh you know he wanted to get that energy back and, and you feel it in this film you know yeah yeah um, yeah it's that, like because i think it was shot very quickly for example mm -hmm. just one mm -hmm. you know example mm -hmm. like 10 days shoot that kind of thing totally and it's like to me it's like it's like watching a sort of master rediscover you know what made him want to be a filmmaker again in the first place and those right. are the coolest things about That's it awesome to me and just like the you know yeah. and, and and we're, we're going to get into all that but let's mm -hmm. just real quick before we get into after hours the movie the scenes the moments the people um and the great cast let's kind of give and then we did a similar thing here when we did taxi driver uh, and when we covered king of comedy is a snapshot of where marty is at at this time in his career yeah. um and so um king of comedy had come out and obviously had not done well at all and i actually have a little anecdote here i read from a quote from marty about this and he said um i remember uh it was the last day of 1983 he said and the king of comedy had come out earlier that year and on new year's eve i was getting dressed to go visit jay cox's house who was a film critic at the time so he was about to go to his party I had the TV on in the background, and for some reason it was tuned to Entertainment Tonight. And I heard them say as a sort of tease before they went to commercial, coming up, the movie flop of the year. So I just sort of stuck around to see what it was. <laughs> oh, what was the movie flop of the year? And when they came back, oh. they said it was King of Comedy. I was the flop of the year. And on top of that, I had been planning to make The Last Temptation of Christ, which we'll talk about, which had just been canceled on me. So it was a double whammy. I had nothing lined up next, and I knew that I was going to have to start all over again. So that's wow. kind of where Marty's at, you know? And I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys want to throw down quick on Last Temptation of Christ, but, you know, <laughs> but Last Temptation of Christ, for some reason, like, this was the movie that Marty was his dream project he wanted to eventually he would make it of course into the late 80s but this is what yeah. he wanted to do uh following king of comedy right mm -hmm. my understanding is that he had it all ready to go and it was just about to go into production but then they pulled the plug on it because uh a bunch of theater chains or like a, a one major theater chain said that they would not carry the film and right. so uh the, the plug got pulled in the production and he was super bummed. That's that's kind of in a nutshell all I all I know about. It's probably uh, yeah. they they got cold feet. I mean, in general, for a depiction of Christ, but also, uh, you know, Monty Python got in so much trouble with Life of Brian. Right. Life of Brian is in '79, and there was picketing, and it was like, you know, they got. Uh, I think everyone was surprised at the uproar with the Life of Brian, <laughs> yeah, not I know. the Life of Christ. <laughs> so disrespectful so, to Brian, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All those Brians out there, you know, yeah. feelings. So yeah. like, um, so I think that I, I'm just thinking out loud that like it's only a few years later from mm -hmm. Life of Brian, and they were just like, no way. Yeah, know? it was it's square cool. in the Reagan era too, right? So mm -hmm. everything was kind of the needle was getting pushed back. Moral majority towards, towards the right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah I, I heard yeah. it was it was a twofold True. kind of problem where you know Paramount was a studio at the time that was attached to doing it, and they were worried about not only just 
the escalating um, sort of, uh, you know, controversy of the project as it was being reported. There were people who were picketing it and people who were protesting it even before it was even being shot. But also Paramount was also worrying about the budget that was increasing simultaneously. So the project was getting bigger and larger and um and uh in uh, and 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 also with the protesting and everything so officially it was canceled 1983 it left you know marty broken bitter and i'm guessing cocaine fixture fix just assume that he's in a, you know his face is buried in a mound of cocaine from like 77 to like 87 or something Jesus. you know i mean i think he would i think he's freely admitted this you know that he was absolutely out of his mind like right you know uh, peeking out with uh, raging bull period you know so right. um wow and and this film i mean just a, a teaser is this film feels druggy actually mm-hmm. and kind of mm-hmm. kind of like nervy and like edgy you know and it has kind of like a coked out energy if i my observation you know like right. i think mm-hmm. that probably influenced uh, him when he made the film, yeah, you know, well, it feels very coke. Yeah, it feels very cokey because obviously it's an up all night movie too, right? I right, mean, right, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> first and foremost, right. Yeah. It does. It does carry a little bit of the seediness of drugs, but pot kind of stands in for like drug in general. And yeah, like you said, That's of course, true. everybody in the movie is up till you know well, five a.m. Yeah. or whatever. It's New York City, and it's nineteen eighty-five. <laughs> it's like Ground Zero for like you know cocaine uh you know uh wonderland and like yeah and it's there's pot actually he's like this isn't even pot you know yeah. like, who knows what they're smoking <laughs> right the yuppie yeah. guy is like a, a pot connoisseur right? yeah <laughs> i love that i love when he yeah. turns but again we're getting ahead of ourselves that's okay <laughs> um well so yeah and 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 just to make it clear about last temptation in case anybody was wondering where all the controversy came from it really was because the story was a major departure from a, a major departure from the traditional gospel narrative. You see yeah. the movie; the ending is very sacrilegious, some would say. Anyway, um, so getting now into after hours. Now, this is interesting because Griffin Dunn, shout out to him, the star of the movie. You know, yeah. he's great. He's love great Griffin. in this. Yeah, he's awesome. I I, I love him too, and a bunch of different stuff. He kind of makes and, the film yeah. for me. You know? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Wouldn't be the same. I can't imagine yeah. someone else. You know. No, yeah, not, not even not even close. But um, he and uh, Amy Robinson, who are co-producing this script, they they well they they stumbled on this script by a a, uh, a uh, Columbia student named uh, Joseph Minion, of course, who was oh. in the class of. Uh, go ahead, Marcus. I'm sure you want to name drop this individual, his teacher. Unless do you know or do you not know? Oh no, I don't know. Oh Schrader. wow, <laughs> no no no. So okay. So Joseph Minion was the scriptwriter of this. Okay, he was a Columbia student. He was his teacher was uh, help me with the pronunciation, please. Uh, his teacher was Dusan Makovec. Oh, you know? Makovec. Yeah, oh, your yeah. homeboy. Oh, Sweet I movie. didn't know that either. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hero oh, of mine. Wow. That's <laughs> yeah, Dushan. yeah. So, very Dusan yeah. Makovec. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Wow. Uh, who made uh, W R Mysteries of the Organism? Sweet movie. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Montenegro. Other films. Yeah. Yeah, possible possible Marcus birthday picks right there. Um, but anyway, sure. um, oh, yeah. but so basically, yeah. He, so this is a class thesis or whatever final assignment for you know that class with him as a wow. teacher. Wow, yeah, that yeah, actually yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because wow. it does have this um, this like Eastern European deadpan kind of sort of black humor sure. you know not unlike yes. um you know like the best of, of foreman like you know ticking off or something mm-hmm. and, and you know and then the films they made 
back in their homeland, you know, uh, uh, the Eastern European directors. Wow, the sensibilities. Sure. Yeah. It, it, I can feel that, uh, I guess, coming through yeah, the script. Yeah, it's kind of weird, huh? So, Did not know that. So that's the that's the quick backstory. There is that he, it is sort he, of in, yep. based on something, right? Like, are you going to get to that? Um, well, there's a little like, bit of controversy with that. I don't know if you know that, but basically, I can jump ahead here. But basically, the the script, uh, I think it was till after the movie came out, is where, and this is what I heard. I don't know if you guys can back me up on this, but you know, yeah. radio artist Joe Frank's 1982 sort of NPR Playhouse monologue, which was called Lies, featured a lot of the same plot elements that are in the film, almost oh. verbatim from <coughs> the program. Yes, including... Like this student was right. listening to like late night radio and just like... Yeah. Wasn't yeah. actually called... I think he actually called the screenplay Lies at first, and it was only retitled to like After oh, Hours, Jesus. like later on. <laughs> there was two titles. I think there was another title. I can't remember what it is. Uh, I can't remember. But yeah, Lies was one of them. And so, like, mm. it lifts a lot of the same plot elements. Like, it even has oh, the, wow. it even has the bagel paperweight. It has, you know, oh, um, well, losing, the, <laughs> losing the cab fare out the window. Well specific. Yeah. yeah, it's got wow. a lot of like similar Jeez. things. But, but, but he did obviously file a lawsuit against. It's the on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Yeah. I was going to listen to it today, but I was like, oh, it's an hour long. I don't know if I have that much time, but I'll, yeah. I'll hit it. At some oh, I'm point. curious. You should yeah. put the link uh, when we post this. Yeah, it'll it'll sure. be in the description for that for you to check it yeah, out. Yeah, but yeah, so uh, Joe Frank, yeah, okay. he 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 did eventually file a lawsuit against the producers and then was paid in in a settlement. Is is what I understand. Mm-hmm. But um, quickly going back to the script, so they are they're blown away by the script. Um, they dig it. Griffin Dunn and his producing partner. And they shop it around looking for money and a director. And this they is, actually sorry to interrupt, but it's yeah. this is Triple Play, their production company. I Are can't you seeing remember. that? Notes? It doesn't oh, matter. It's just yeah. um, from what I Go understand. Ahead. Just to really nerd out for a second, sure. Is, uh, one of my favorite movies is a chilly uh, scenes in, of winter. Yeah, I love that. And movie too. Um, we that, do that features Griffin Dunn. Yeah, Griffin Dunn appears in it, and uh, I believe that that. Um, that he and Amy produced it with the with actually the guy from Animal House, <laughs> Michael Metcalf. Oh um, yeah, Pledge Pin. Well, that and guy. John Hurt also is in, in the movie too. I mean, you know, exactly. Movie. That's what I'm oh, saying. Weird. So like, uh, yeah. I'm doing the uh, the yarn, uh-huh. you know, on the on the cork board. Oh, yeah. well, June is all, well, Verna Bloom is also who's June who's plays June House. in this right. movie. It's also an Animal there House. You go, the there Dean's you go. wife. <laughs> okay, my mind is getting kind of blown here. I love these kinds of connections. So anyway, just yeah, yeah. no, so um. There, there's, I mean, well, hell, uh, Peter Riegert in Animal House is in chilly <laughs> scenes of win- in winter. Yeah. And, right. and so is Pledge Pin Guy, Metcalf. So, wow. anyway, wow. there's some kind of uh, energy going on back and forth. Obviously, the nucleus in, in, in these connections, though, is, is, is Griffin Dunn. Yeah. Who uh, I'll just say, just to sneak it ahead slightly, is just um, what a great uh, 80s guy. And for, for me, the big impression was um, American Werewolf in London. Oh, sure. Yeah. Monster. He's like, so uh, hi, David, with the Mickey Mouse doll. <laughs> Anybody? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody yeah, remember sure. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he just, he made that film for me. You know, yeah. like, he's like slowly uh, rotting over the course of the film, right? So he's right. like, uh, he's, yeah. he's killed in the beginning and then his, his corpse comes back and he's like trying to warn David, you know, <laughs> uh, but he's funny in the beginning when they're at the, in the it's in the cat, you know, they they go to the, uh, the English the tavern. The tavern. All I'm saying is, is he's a great 
kind of cult character actor. Yeah. And this is like his big moment is yeah, uh, and, after hours. So if you're any kind yeah. of Griffin Dunn fan, you got to see this. Yeah. And, and, and also he's like, you know, an arbiter of really good taste. I mean, putting this project together and seeing, right. you know, and, and I, I thought right. this was interesting too. So real quick before we get into the goddamn movie is <laughs> so they, so he loved the script, him and he and his partner loved the script. They're shopping it around, looking for money, looking for a director, and they had just seen the first animated short film by Tim Burton and thought that Tim Burton, who oh, had yeah. not done anything live action, uh, <laughs> would would <laughs> be the director for this for this movie. Black and twist. so so yeah so 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 wow. Tim Burton was you know this is pre Pee Wee's Big Adventure was um, <laughs> I- interested wow. in doing it, but then Scorsese. Hmm gets past the script, he reads it on a plane, and he's like, okay, I can do this. Because again, he's searching for that thing that he can do because he probably needs something low budget, something that he can do quick, something that's going to be fun, something that's going to reboot his career because he's... you know, damaged goods at this point. He needs to kind of, yeah, start from ground zero. So what you're saying is kind of interesting to me is like, because um, I don't know any of the backstory, I guess, from this film, is uh, that this is not a, a, a Marty-driven project. No. Uh, it, it, it was a hot commodity on its own, and then well, Marty got... Well, so you know what got I mean, it, Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. So, so they got it to, to Marty, and he read it and loved it, and then they went back to Tim Burton and said, yeah, so, well, Marty read it, and It's Marty, yours, Scorsese. Yeah, <laughs> and, no, but Tim Burton said, you know, look, if if Marty wants to do it, you guys got to go with Marty, you know? So then, obviously, that rest I, of the I got to say... It's so interesting that, like, Pee-wee's Big Adventure is the same kind of movie. You know, it's like a guy, right. Like, right. Yeah. chapters, meeting interesting people along the sure. way. Episodic. <laughs> I, I would love to see that. That's an, that's something that I hope AI does within the next ten years. <laughs> is the Tim Burton After Hours? Yeah. Oh yeah. Start, and the Scorsese Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. So uh, no, because yeah. that because I could see Tim Burton actually taking to it, like especially eighties Tim Burton when he was like mm-hmm. still kind of interesting. You know, mm-hmm. I bet it would have been so, uh, pretty rewarding in its own way. Yeah, so, no, I, I totally agree. I, I mean, I can see a lot of the nightmarish, you know, late night yeah, Soho yeah, yeah, yeah. thing, like in his style for sure. Especially, you know, in those earlier films, you know, where I'm going to get know. controversial. Hmm? I'm making this up, <laughs> and this has nothing to do with reality. Oh, but boy. I bet, just my gut, is that um, Mark, uh, um, they got notes from Burton. Like Burton kind of submitted sort of like a some ideas, some concepts. He needs to have Marty a, f- just stole- a free top hat that he's wearing throughout the whole movie. No, <laughs> Claymation. Right. Well, oh, right. <laughs> no, no, no. But I'm just saying like I could see him um, having some notes that got floated around and then it got under Marty's nose. And there's yeah. some there is some Tim Burton in this in like talk, you know, in the conception level. Um, just yeah, maybe mm-hmm. maybe it's just snuck in there. Sure. Um, so anyway, yeah, could be. So that's it. That's the backstory. And then we get into Marty full force going into this. I've heard budget figures of 4.5 mil. I've heard 8 mil. So it's low budget. But that's what he needed to do, man. He needed to work and do something getting back to the run and gun roots. And you see here on right from the freaking moment shot one of this movie, you're seeing a lot of those zips, uh, th- those kind of zip crazy tracking shots that would become much more signature as Mar- Marty would go yeah. into the 90s. And you're kind of seeing yeah. him really playing around here a lot with this. Well, movie. you know what I, I noticed? Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I love those moments. And it's weird for me to go back to this movie, like I said, so burn it in my psyche and to go back to reevaluate it and see the Martiness of it all, all those dolly right. ends and stuff. It's really, uh, it's really interesting. And like, I mean, I feel like those stylistic qualities along with just the general tone and atmosphere, like make it this 
quintessential like black comedy in my in my mind you know and um uh i i think just the uh the you know there's that the filmmaking in general i think there's this like quote from marty talking about like you can't your comedy is supposed to be high key lighting and fast paced you know and th- those are the rules the comedy we've heard that before too you shouldn't do like a highly stylized comedy and mm-hmm. i think that's what black comedy is but um it's it's interesting to see all those his style his stylistic choices work within the comedy context and like inject those elements of like of darkness into it i don't know and i miss this just in general maybe miss this tone of comedy like watching this movie again they just don't make comedies like this anymore everything is super bright you know like uh kimmy yeah. schmidt lighting or whatever on a comedy yeah. these days you know Television. and like i just miss like mystery trains another movie that that reminded me it's like an all-nighter hmm. yeah like it's absolutely style it's it's dark comedy you know it it's first. like <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. I've just I missed this tone. No, I hear you. Well, what I was going to say is uh, this is very interesting. Let's like I, I don't mind having this be a very much conversation about like the Marty context, you know, uh, because what I noticed just today, because I wasn't even thinking about it uh, explicitly, but I think this is the premiere of Marty's sort of uh, much copied and even, you know, kind of ridiculed uh, succession, quick succession of like three or four smash cuts. Mm-hmm. You know, like like mm-hmm. in Goodfellas, when like there's a wedding or something, and it's like you know there's the flash bulb, you know, and then like somebody signing a check in tight close up insert shot, you know, and it's like it goes like, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe this is the first. It happens a little bit in this film, and I th- and because it's obviously not a style that's in Raging Bull. There's no editing mm-hmm. like that. Not mm-hmm. Taxi Driver. Maybe mm-hmm. New York, New York. I haven't seen it in a while. But uh, what I'm saying is, is like, um, there's not some King flourishes. Yeah. Yeah. Not King of Comedy. Thank you. Mm-mm. Like this has a lot of stylization um, mm-hmm. and it's almost getting just to be total talk BS here is like, it's almost getting like, this is after he worked with Jerry Lewis mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's some Jerry Lewis energy in this movie too. Yeah. You know, like yeah. there's some, some screwball, like those, like the, the, yeah. uh, the taxis going impossibly fast. Yeah. Not yeah. that Jerry Buster did Keaton. that exa- exactly kind of busted. yeah well just like um surrealism like yeah. comedy surrealism where th- like reality is not quite working out and even it's even mm-hmm. kind of jerry it's almost a combination of like david lynch and jerry lewis to have like one piece of the paper mache yeah uh, <laughs> is a small blurb of an article that details <laughs> what his fate could be yeah <laughs> right so it's yeah. like it's like an, it's this, the universe it's, it's an absurd universe that's it's it's part eraser head and part uh, you know, like uh, the um, you know the delicate delinquent bellhop, whatever. Well, Jerry Lewis mm-hmm. you know what it also has too. Is Maybe it, it influenced him. You know what yeah, it also Jerry. has too is like, like I always kind of like to think about. Um, it'd be a fun list of movies to make to, or to curate. Is like movies that in a different way could have been Twilight Zone episodes too. You know, like there's yeah. a lot of great movies that fit that sort of mold. Like this being one of them. You know, and and I, I it does have that quality where obviously he can't escape you know, being downtown Soho. I mean, he could always fucking walk. It'd probably take him a few hours, but being stuck yeah. like in downtown New York, <laughs> it's not and that's that the main far thing. from Midtown. <laughs> no, it's actually probably a beautiful it's like, walk. It's at like night. 35 minutes. Yeah. I mean, know. he might get knifed in <laughs> hell's kitchen or something, but, uh, yeah. but I mean, if you're going up Broadway, even in the eighties, you mm. might get mugged, but like, yeah, that's like He's 35 like, minutes to get to like, um, he doesn't have anything. Uh, 30 seconds, 36th Street or something. You right. Know? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but but but, but anyway, that's yeah. but that's the thing. The film is yeah. kind of 
like well you know uh the 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 term i came up with is kafka you know everybody's yeah. throwing a kafka-esque but this i can tell that he's had kafka on his mind mm-hmm. you know he's being persecuted and he didn't do anything or you know mm-hmm. and um and also it's like he's trapped it's like like he is he is stuck within like six blocks, you know, like, yeah. like beyond just any kind of practicality, you know, right. it's, it's, it's also got, it's also got the mythological like uh, quality to it too. It's like the odyssey, yeah. right? Absolutely. Where it's like the man goes out in the boat and you know, in, into the unknown and meets all this, this cast of unusual characters, Absolutely. you know, uh, yeah. yeah, Medusas and, you know, <laughs> you have to get past this point, you know, yeah. to, you know, I the, love the, this level key, of like injecting mythological key. into it. I love this level of injecting mytholo- mythology into your film compared to like, oh brother, where art thou, or something, where they're like, they literally have to have like a cyclops guy or whatever. You know, yeah, they have to the go, nose. they have to tilt it so make it so obvious. But yeah. I love when it's just like an element of influence. Well, you know? like the uh, the keys uh, so great. that are given to him have like a skull. You know, there's no o- overt yeah. symbolism, but it's like foreboding. <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. like, of course. You have to have that insert shot of like the skull on the keys. Yeah. You see it twice too. Those are and he's cool like, he's like, keys. That's not he's, good. We see yeah. it offered, and then we see in the hand take it. Absolutely. You know, like it cuts yeah. back. It's an important detail. All right. Well, anyway. Well, so yeah. Just and, and, maybe we can start talking about the journey and, and go down the road with him. Yeah. So obviously, you know, the movie starts out with him, you know, working his boring word processing job. And then, of course, he, uh, you know, as you mentioned earlier, he, he, he goes to a diner. He's reading uh, Henry Miller. Uh, also, interesting enough, that's not the only Henry Miller reference in the Scorsese m- movie because uh, Cape Fear later on also, I think, has many references right. to. Oh, he gives her Plexus a book, and, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. To kind of fuck with her head. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shout out to One Fucking Hour Ramey because she actually pointed that out to me uh, while we were that's watching it. That's dope. Yeah. Yeah. Super It's cool so high school. There. It's yeah. the, those are high school paperbacks. <laughs> it, it I love, is, yeah. I love yeah. that. Respect. Yeah. So, so he so, probably read it in high school, the character, and then right. Arquette, right. the character, read it in high school, you right. know, and they're like, hey, right. take another look at it 10 years later. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> so he's reading the book at the diner, and then, um, you know, he meets, you know, uh, he meets Roseanne Arquette, this character, Marcy, and, you know, she's kind of. Um, she's great you know, in it. She's great in it. She's, she's cool. I never chic, got blurry. her, but. I'm like, wow, what a great film presence, you know? Oh, I love her. She's, yeah. she's great. She's so great. She's she's got uh, she's uh, an actress that has not not one song written about her, but two famous like pop songs written about really? her too. Like, yeah, so the Toto song Rosanna, Rosanna was about her. Rosanna, Rosanna. Well, yeah, like well, what's the, the other she one? was dating. Uh, in Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel is okay. also supposed to be about her too. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. In your eyes, the light, the heat. I am complete. By the way, gentlemen, I have a moment on my mind. <laughs> for this episode. Just maybe you can read my mind. Moment. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Because I'm only here for the moments. So okay. uh, sure. I have a moment suggestion based on this point okay. of the conversation. she's got this like kind of sexy mouse quality i don't know why it's something that it's also we're going to open up marcus's like childhood brain here but she looks like the like the secret of nim mouse to me or something there's like some sort of like yeah yeah, i guess so yeah anyway yeah she's great she's a great arquette yeah yeah my favorite arquette i think 
Yeah, for sure. sure. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. David and then her. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so no, oh, so I, I love that I like meeting. It. Well, you know what? The thing is, it's like, there's a few things going on. You're talking about mythological. There's two things, I think. There's the mythological kind of like mist in the air, but there's also mm-hmm. just like a dream. Like, mm-hmm. it feels like he could have just in this, in the reality of this film is that after work, he's watching late night TV and he falls asleep in the couch and all this happens, quote unquote, mm. you know, because that's kind of the next shot after he goes to the diner. I mean, sorry, the shot right before is that he's like kind of staring blankly at like Johnny Carson. And then you see him at the cafe. So because the thing is, it's like a wish fulfillment thing. There's two things going on. There's a lot of sexuality stuff going on too, male sexuality Lots. Lots. in this film. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> like Lots. she is an ideal situation. Like mm-hmm. a, a, a lonely guy goes to a cafe all alone at, at one in the morning and like, what would be the greatest thing that could happen? <laughs> so that's like the dream <laughs> wish fulfillment, classic <laughs> wish fulfillment. So it's like, how about an incredibly beautiful girl takes interest in me, you know, and we spark mm-hmm. something. Um, but then of course, just to tease in that that of course is going to be a nightmare mm-hmm. as evidenced by uh, well, what happens but also in this symbolic illustration that great illustration of uh, the man and his penis is being chomped by like a swordfish a shark yeah. shark yeah. Yeah. remember in the, in the bathroom oh and, yeah you know, i remember yeah because like obviously um she's he a nightmare and he's in a nightmare you know um, and there's 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 a, a woman's bed has mouse traps surrounding it, you know. Yeah. yeah. No. It's yeah. it's a dream. It's all dream. Uh, they're kissing you know. and a mouse. <laughs> they're kissing and the mouse gets caught in yeah. the mouse. No, but it's like surrounding her bed. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's brilliant. You well, know, she it's, she it's dream watch. She also I, has I that miss qu- this Marty. Yeah. 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 For sure. She also has this uh, you know thing which is like perfect. Uh, if you will, catnip for a person like uh, Griffin Dunn, who's like searching for something, because obviously you can tell in the movie that he's somebody who is very neurotic. He doesn't like to be out late in the first place. So something right. really captured him uh, with ro- like with like Rosanna, like something he you know like drug him out of that comfort zone out into the world. But then when he mm-hmm. finally gets to meet her at the Soho you know sort of apartment, uh, the 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 uh, Soho loft. You know, she also reveals this other side where she is, you know, yes, she's confident, but she's also deeply wounded, which is another thing that is even more attractive and alluring to someone like a Griffin. Dunn Until character. it's not. So. Until it's not. You keep right. upping the ante. Yeah. And then he goes like, I'm in, this is a nightmare. What, Marcus? Uh, he keeps upping the ante on like the problems because you think like, well, maybe I can deal with this. She's had some problems in the past and right, it just right. keeps getting more and more like, and more. Oh, you know, burn victims need love too. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So she had a messed up, <laughs> yeah. she had a messed up relationship before. Okay. You know, and like uh, a half hour ago. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, now she has like <laughs> second, now she has like, she's not sec- rebounding, is she? No, yeah. no way. No. And then she's got second degree it's burn uh, tube, you know, cream tube. Or does she? Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Well, when he first gets there, like it's interesting. He's like, so he's like a clearly an outsider in this world. Like he's a yuppie, yeah. like white collar guy. Almost everybody else he Can meets is a, is a blue collar. I think modern audiences might not quite get the nuance. I mean, yeah. I think we have some idea that he's reading. You know what I'm saying? Like as a, as no, a absolutely social, social archetypes. This is a yuppie guy because he might just look like he's a guy. Like he knows it kind of hip. By com- you know, he's got the yeah, white suit exactly. and stuff. But he's but he's, he's not supposed to be hip. He's supposed right. to be he's just a corny a, like like midtown stiff. And yeah. anyway, I just think that modern audiences maybe would kind of miss the nuance of how strange yeah. it is for him and, yeah. and to see him I, in right. Solo. 
it's also hard to, I think, to dissect that because of the casting choice, because he is sort of like, he's short. He's almost got like kind of beady eyes, his dark hair. He's not the traditional like hero look. Unibrow. He's got a kind of a, vi- he's got a little bit, his unibrow. He's got a little bit of a villainous quality in a way because he gets, he's kind of pissy, you know, and he gets, yeah. he's edgy, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not the traditional like hero out of water, you know, no, but um, no, no, I, I do love that. Just seeing him repeatedly confronted with these like uh, hipster elements, you know, for lack of a better word, what was hipster yeah, sure. back then? And like the first thing, the, the introduction that he goes to that woman's, he goes to her apartment to Kiki. go meet her. Right. And, but it turns out it's a different woman there. It's Kiki. She throws him down the keys, which looks so heavy. And they're like they're coming right towards the camera. It looks like it's going to kill him, you know, right, right. super heavy keys lands on the ground. And then when he meets Kiki, she's like so intimidating. Yeah. And I love the filmmaking that I they use that to, to make her intimidate. She's got this deep voice. They shoot yeah. her low. So she looks always oh, yeah. looks taller than him, you know, because I don't think Linda Fiorentino shout out to dogma, by the way, uh, from oh. our most hated episodes. Uh, Cause she's shout like, out she's to the lead quest to make up for that. So. <laughs> yes. Yes. But she's awesome. Oh. in after hours and she's really laying she it is. down. Like she's, she's so, she intimidates me. She's sort of like almost like a Grace Jones or something like a tall, yeah. short, uh, short, severe haircut. You know, dominatrix, yeah. you know, like uh, she's way more worldly than him. She's got this she's deep like, fucking voice, like, like, worm, you know, yeah, like threatening, <laughs> right. like threatening sexuality to someone who's square is right. Griffin Dunn. Right. Yes. But, um, can I real quick, just funny story yeah. about him and her in this moment? Cause I, I do love this a lot too, but this is my favorite Griffin Dunn story, like about making this scene or, you know, with, with Linda uh, Fiorentino. So Marty told Griffin, in what when to prepare for this role of this character he said i want you to refrain from sex and sleep during the shoot okay so no sex no sleep and wow. um and then uh until the day came when he was to do the scene with linda fiorentino and he's massaging her okay and uh and i guess the way that griffin explains it he says i you know i was doing the you know i was massaging her and i was uh, just uh, too goddamn relaxed suddenly uh, I was kind of a cool guy, you know, doing this. And then Marty went, cut, let me talk to you. You got laid, didn't you? And he was really uh, pissed. He said, you fucked up the whole thing. We're going to do it again. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so well, he could tell that he had so gotten Mar- laid. So, Mar- so Scorsese wanted to make a film driven by, like, sexual frustration. Yes. And, you know, like, uh, and, and all kinds of tension and stress. The whole yeah. film is stress. She needs a massage, you know, and um, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. quirky drugs. Uh, I love that. There aren't many films that are like sort of over caffeinated and like jittery like this. Mm-hmm. That's, that's mm-hmm. you know, it's very mm-hmm. distinct. I love so, the lack of sleep detail too because it totally right. shows. You he know, looks like terrible. Physically, by the end. he looks yeah. really bad. Yeah, when he's well, he well, he's with Claire Bloom, the old lady at the end. Yeah. Yeah, he said that he had to. <laughs> it was really, it was really difficult to adjust because obviously all night shoots. You know, and then like he guess they had like the the like gaffer guys came over to you know Griffin's apartment and installed you know blackout stuff like in every window oh, of his shit. apartment. Like Elvis. So he could, yeah, <laughs> so we could sleep. Wow. Uh, yeah, during the day. Wow. Um, but yeah, so anyway, just wild, wild stuff, and especially with the suicide and everything, you know, of Rosanna's character, it really right. cements the stakes like pretty high, like you know, in the first, like whatever that is, third of the film there. So, mm-hmm. um, I love that she, uh, you know, just the, the, I like the misdirection, you know, like there's the she, first Kiki is saying like some, I, I don't have a lot of scars. Some women are covered head to toe in them. Right, right. And then we see the burn ointment 
and then there's all this drama going on with like where they're whispering to each other and right. you know, he actually sees something there's a funny detail when she's like uh they're whispering to each other and she's like she said like uh, the pill makes me sick you could hear oh, like yeah. the ch- the chitter chatter, you know, they're talking to each other. Right. Um, but then like when after she commits suicide and then takes the robe off and there's she no doesn't scars. have, there's no scars at all. It's like yeah. she's, a, a, it's like a fetish for her. My, my inference is like, um, that's her kink, mm. you know, like uh, her, that's her <laughs> cosplay. Like, oh, I just do the ointment because it's like, I just like the whole burn victim thing, you know, <laughs> I like looking she at has the, the book. Yeah, she has, yeah, the she book. has a book. Right. Because it's, True. well, because, um, hmm. you know, again, it's, it's old school Soho. So it's like a weird, dark, mysterious place with weird people who have weird, a weird culture and weird behavior patterns, you know, and, uh, you know, Dude, so I um, think there was a funny detail, it was an exhibit like, of that, like, cause everyone has some kind of strange malady and, yeah. and moving forward, you get a, a new malady, which is Terry Gar being a damaged monkey fan in 1985, (laughs) for example, which is easily my favorite, like surprise. That's when I really realized like, now I, now I, now I really like this movie because in 85, people were not even beginning to address people who were damaged with nostalgia. I know that sounds Mm. funny almost, but like Mm -hmm. any kind of nostalgia, it's like, like I'm locked in this weird teenage, being a teenager loop. And like, I listened to Donovan all day but it's like 85, like Run DMC right. playing in the car outside, you know, and like she's it's So it's just anyway, all I'm saying is like uh, good uh, detail. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. the details of like um, people who are really got these crazy hang ups. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. and uh, so, uh, well, anyway, you were saying well, when I was younger, I thought that maybe she was supposed to be like a, a hipster who was into like looking back on you know like she was doing a retro thing like just like how there are punks in the movie because there was sort of a 60s thing kind of burgeoning in the under in the in the yeah. 80s you know but now i that. as an adult i i can see now knowing a bit about terry gar that she's older you know she yeah. actually was in like a go-go dancer like on shindig and in like a elvis movies and stuff so right. like she is supposed to be someone who the 60s she never gave up the 60s right right, right exactly she's not right. doing it like like we're saying like uh neo garage band chesterfield kings kind of thing it's like 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 she's it's arrested development she's stuck well, listening to i'm a believer and again it's just like then i was blown away by that and now i'm blown away by that because it's this I got to say, like, Marty, for being an old man filmmaker in 85, has, I think he's really made a very hip movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, just yeah, to yeah, maybe, yeah. as we move forward, getting a little bit in the plot here and there, I'd like to start introducing, like, this really strange, cool cast. Like, it's a great cast to have in 1985. So maybe let's spend a second on yeah. that. And, and real forward as well. Real, one click back just to Terry Gar before we get to, well, it, it goes with the cast and then we'll get to everybody yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. So Terry Gar is, is it's, great casting. Yeah, it's gr- great casting. But just again, like this movie does a really good job of, um, you know, I mean, most of this movie is is about, you know, Griffin Dunn seeing red flags, you know, in a bunch of different women. Right. I right? know. That's, and that's kind of one of the things that's a little bit of a ding, too, you know, in terms of how it ages for me. And the movie kind of eventually runs out of steam. It's a little repetitive. Um, I think when, like, Rosanna Arquette's out of the picture, the movie kind of wanes a little bit for me. But, I mean, obviously, I still like it a lot. But, you know, just to back up what you were saying, the, you know, the sort of, like, nostalgia addict looking back to the monkey's red flag is a brilliant one. That is perhaps one of the I more know. inspired red flags. I, I, I guarantee you. Yeah. 
that had never happened before in a pop culture movie kind of yeah. like in pop culture anything it's is smart. a very great and i guess you know it's a tribute to the script as well as martin though like and her terry gar yeah. but um i think i love what a, she's pouring is she's pouring her heart out he's pouring her heart out to her about like oh this girl committed suicide or whatever she's like right. wait a second and she goes and takes off the monkeys and puts on joni mitchell right. yeah. she's like okay now is yeah. that better Is that better? Chelsea morning. Yeah. Like, I've got the soundtrack for this conversation. <laughs> right. No, totally. And actually, you know, just to maybe just spend two seconds on what you were just saying, Evan, it's like there is this kind of like uh, fear of like women kind of thing mm -hmm. uh, or, or like apprehension, like women can be scary and they can, you know, like a, like can be a nice present. But when you open it, it's like a can of worms or whatever. But my thing just was kind of striking me as a, as a human being on earth was like, I don't know like what hit me was like not just the gender uh, you know that he's experiencing mostly was these all these women but like just strangers like dealing with strangers yeah, like yeah. like yeah. making investments with strangers and you don't right. know what you're gonna get you know mm -hmm. like it's like what forrest gump always says right so it's like um it, it's like being weary of strangers which is a very new york city kind of neurosis yeah totally. you know it's like like you know yeah. what i mean like because yeah, everyone's yeah, stuck yeah. together so tightly in new york city like in la it's, who cares you could completely ignore people like how all about together. the uh how about the guy who uh, how about the station agent guy who won't let him through this the Absolutely. uh the, the uh, subway <laughs> how about, and he's like uh how about, well i can't give you the money you know because i could lose my job well who would who would know exactly i could go to a party Get drunk, talk to someone, who knows? Would you just give me a goddamn token? No! I could go to a party, get drunk, yeah. tell someone, <laughs> who knows? Yeah, and then yeah. I lose my job. That's a yeah. great weird train of thought it's like okay no and then there's how about this like even just like victor argo uh shout out to victor argo from um yeah, you know he's the, the guy around the bodega and taxi driver mm -hmm. and like yeah and he's weird and like um it's just uh it's a well that's the thing what i love sorry to ramble but i'll shut up in a second but just like it's not just new york city it's new york city in the middle of the night and the thing about new york city in the middle of the night is there's it's very very depopulated and there aren't that many people new york city at midday it's of course an explosion of population but this is like a small group of people and guess what most of the people you're going to encounter in the middle of the night something's something's going to be happening something's mm -hmm. wrong yeah. <laughs> you know like something yeah. is going to be dinged or winged yeah. or thing and like you have to be yeah. on your guard and yeah. uh, even he is weird as a stranger to these people i was as just going to say on, that yeah yeah Go i was ahead. just going to say that i mean i think there's a reading of like this movie where like like you said that there's it's there's the reading of like where he's a uh, he's all these people are, are inflicting their maladies upon him like he's a uh he, you know that, that he's innocent and yeah, he's yeah. getting yeah he's getting assaulted yeah. all this weird there's that reading yeah. of the film but there's also the reading of like him this outsider going in and causing all this chaos right. because he you know his presence does right. lead to her suicide and yeah. like and to the, the the community mobilizing against him his lack of money like he's caught you know uh he's causing lots of problems there as an outsider yeah. and i think the film's pretty balanced in that regard too like that like there's that both readings are pretty equal on it and he does end up like paying for his crimes you know and i think that uh scorsese even said you know called out I, I did listen to the dvd commentary um, for this he did say like oh, wow. there's a point where in the movie where he says like look i just wanted to go out and have a meet and meet a nice girl and have a good time do i have to like die for that 
and Scorsese said, and my answer to that is yes, yes, you do. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, love it. In in, in, yeah. in Soho in 1985, yeah, you well, have a very good chance let, of that. Let's keep the let's train move moving here, just because the clock is killing us. Um, okay, so uh, let's let's just talk about a great big set piece here. The Club Berlin punk club sequence is so cool. Mohawk Night. Shout out to Mohawk Night, which has got to be you know obviously a reference back to the taxi driver of it all. Oh my god, right? I didn't even think of that, but there yep, you go. But full circle on the Mohawk haircut. Yeah. But then, can I also just say it's yep. 1985? You're mm-hmm. making a Hollywood film. Mm-hmm. You pick the fucking bad brains pay to come. <laughs> so cool. That yeah. is yeah. a really cool look because yeah. that's like hardcore. And that's like the best of the cream of the crop. Hardcore. This is only like shooting in like 84, 85. That mm. is very on top of your game. And that is a very, again, Marty made a pretty fucking hit movie for 1985, you know? So mm-hmm. just that detail alone, like, like it could have just chosen whatever, but pay to come specifically. And that's a great little yeah. quick and he hit, yeah. and I, one of my notes, haircut assault. I just wrote that. Down. Yeah, that's one of the <laughs> funnier <laughs> moments. Yeah. yeah. Mohawk this guy. Yeah. yeah. Mohawk this guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, Great scene. Real quick, just for the Club Berlin, then Marcus, do you have anything on Club Berlin? But just one of my Mondo After Hours moments in this movie kind of hidden cameo is and there's a lot of great hidden cameos in this entire film but one that just popped out to me he's in the he's in the film he's in the freaking movie for 10 frames but uh there is a film he, uh, a director named Lech Kowalski who directed the punk doc DOA oh, okay right. now <laughs> now no wait hang on he's not in it yeah. so it's even more esoteric oh, than that okay whoops but he also made a doc drama film hybrid film called Story of a Junkie, which actually Troma released, uh, aka way back Gringo, in the 80s. right? Gringo, right? Exactly. Gringo is in the movie with the eye patch in the, at the bar. That's Gringo. So, That's hot, dude. I know. Wow. I just like, there is that fucking go, Gringo? Man. And like, pause, and then I, there he I is. I miss this know. Scorsese, man. I miss this. That's yeah. amazing. That's a, yeah. It's such a good look, this film. And that's a killer on that, scene. Mm-hmm. On that tip, just another tangential punk cameo. It's Rocket's Red Glare is in this movie. Mm-hmm. He was like right. a, I guess, one of those guys who's famous for just living at the Chelsea. And then also supposedly admitted to his friends that he actually murdered nancy spungen like he's he would go around yeah. and tell that story at parties wow. and yeah, then deny five it bucks to the so or whatever. tell you anything you want to hear exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, but another yeah. uh another punk cameo no but he would he was in uh, like post-punk movies uh mm. you know like the richard kern kind of scene uh beth and scott b and all that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. yeah that's a very cool look uh again from i don't know i'll stop uh lauding Martin for making a pretty hit movie. I got to add one little thing. We're barreling down, we're running out of time. But one of the secret weapons of this film for me, since the first time I saw it, you know, I had all these great impressions as I watched it for the first time. Like, this is really interesting, 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 interesting. It just kept going. And towards the end, it was the picking of that Peggy Lee song. Is that all? Yes. Flirt with me. Share your cigarette with me. Yeah. And that little interlude with Claire Bloom from, animal, you know, the wife in Animal House. And um, it's a small scene. It's just really great them dancing together. And it's all, it's suddenly this very Verna sad, Bloom. strange. Yeah. Porn- yeah. Say again? Yeah. Uh, Verna, Verna Bloom. Verna Bloom. Yeah. He's like oh, Bloom. shit. Right. Verna okay. Bloom. Sorry. Verna Bloom, not Claire Bloom. And so, uh, yeah, no, and they're just slow dancing. It's like a very 4 a.m. kind of thing. And it feels. And such like a weird song, you know. And it's such, such a weird such song. And I always think of Mad Men 
or vice versa. And I think that um, uh, Weiner, uh, Matt Weiner, is thinking of that because he has, uh, you, you know, in the last season, um, whatever. Yeah, season seven, right. Uh, Don Draper uh, dances or like has flirtation in the middle of the night in New York City with the waitress. And is that all there is, all right. is happening? Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. It just feels like. Um, I got annoyed when it popped up in Mad Men because I'm like, no, that belongs in After Hours. Oh, really? On the ideas. That? That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought of After Hours too, and I went like, salute, you know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I that's do like just the music. Great, I mean, I do so like the, the use of that moment. Yeah, and the use of the pop music in this is interesting. There's only a, there's only a few cues compared to other and Marty movies, great, you know. And great choices. All the '50s stuff in the diner, that Rosie and the Originals song, "Angel Baby," is so good. There's, but um, one, just another shout out to the music is like that Howard Shore did like the score. Shit. For yeah, this. Cool. And it's one of the few times that in his early career that Mar- Marty got someone to do a score for a movie. Yeah. And I and I think it really helps drive like the mystery. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like a mysterious. There's a ticking in the music, like a hi-hat, like a drum machine hi-hat or something. It's just like, it sounds like a yeah. ticking clock. It's on the seconds and it... Right. It propels that. It goes with the logo. You know, of yep, the, yep. What, uh, the great Mistral font for after and the uh, avant-garde for hours. And then the little clock and the O that's like tick, 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 tick. Right, and then, right, right, you know, right, I, right. You know, I just love that um, that ticking yeah. sound that drives Yeah, the well, it forward. keeps a real, it, it, it like keeps the tension going and, the, and it pulls you through everything. And so, yeah, and, and like the music is key in, in a movie like this. Yeah, it's it's a great score and it is rare to see. Uh, it's another kind of unique thing about Marty uh, fil- Marty's filmography to have that. Tiny shout out again. I'm trying to keep with the cast. There's all these threads that are happening throughout the film, and one consistent thread is total surprise. Cheech and Chong is in this movie. That's another thing. When I first <laughs> saw this, I went, "Oh, thing." Yeah. I was, I know, I was like, "Oh, fuck this movie." Cheech and Chong is in this. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. and it yeah. was very welcome. And uh, and they're just, of course, being Cheech and Chong, and they're and they're and they're the real thieves, not him, you know. And they're and they're mm-hmm. and they're and they're also causing their own kind of mayhem. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, just that's a great cameo. And uh, is, are there any other cameos that I'm missing? Well, Catherine sm- O'Hara, we didn't talk about Catherine O'Hara. Great. Yeah. Yeah. John yeah, Hurd yeah. and Catherine O'Hara. Yep. Yep. Well, John Hurd is the bartender. It's great. John Catherine O'Hara is. Yeah, yeah. When she's um, fucking him up on memorizing the numbers. Yes. Zero. I know. Three. That is Six. hardcore yeah. cool. Nine. Three. Eight. Zero. Oh. <laughs> That's so obnoxious. I'd love that. That's so obnoxious. And she's doing that before he thinks she thinks he's the uh, thief. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 She's really scary, man. Very she's scary. scary. Yeah. She's very scary. scary. Yeah. Um, and then of course Verna Bloom. Yeah. Verna Bloom. She kind of Karen's out on him, by the way. Yeah, she does. Proto Karen. Who Karen? Yeah. Character. Yeah. 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 I like how Catherine. When I was watching this today, I was thinking Catherine O'Hara and John Heard reunite as the parents in. Home alone. Home alone. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. A lot of weird That's connections true. in this movie. Everyone there stops are, over yeah. there. I love that. So um, as we get into, you know, Verna Bloom being the penultimate woman that, you know, stop in this. <laughs> right. In this Who's film. also a threat in her own way. 
Yes, right. But can we talk about just real quick before we run out of time? Just the original ending, what what was proposed? Yeah, uh, for this movie. Okay, so so there was an ending shot that actually they tested in front of audiences that the audiences did not like whatsoever. So people were a little huh. worried about what how this movie would would ultimately perform. So right. <clears throat> I'm just going to quote here. Uh, something from Griffin Dunn here from a recent interview. The interviewer asks, the movie was originally going to end with you remaining in the sculpture, but test audiences didn't like that fatalistic outcome, right? And then uh, uh, Griffin says, yeah, it was too claustrophobic. It didn't give them any release. They worried about the boy in in the sculpture. Is he ever going to get out? Marty showed it to his friends, Brian De Palma and Steven Spielberg. We just wow. came up with ideas. I forget whose idea it was that we got so excited about, which was that in the basement, okay, this is what they were going to do. Verna Bloom would go, come here, quick, hide. She'd point to herself, and then it would be a quick cut to her being pregnant with me. I think she was going to give birth on the West Side Highway, and what? I was going to come out covered in plasma. That sounds like Wadarowski or something. Yeah, yeah. I was going to come out covered in plasma. Okay, and then who would wait? What? Who would come on? Griffin Dunn would be birthed out of Verna Bloom, oh, covered in plasma God. on the West that was Side not Highway. Spielberg suggestion. She is a mother <laughs> figure, you know, because she's older yeah, and he yeah. puts she his like head on her, on her chest. You know, totally, like, but then, totally, amen. But oh then, my God. but then, cooler heads prevailed in the form of David Geffen, <laughs> who financed the movie. Went, no way, that's a disgusting ending. And then that was that's insane. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> I, I really yeah. regret that. Well, that's a, let somebody do that. In the next 10 years on AI, guys. Yeah, yeah. Next, <laughs> next year probably. But yeah, anyway. So yeah, I, I, I heard that uh, uh, Geffen like, kind of gave the finishing funds wow. to finish the movie. And Scorsese said that they didn't really have, the, the most recent interview I saw, he was saying like, we didn't really have an ending, you know? And like, yeah. we were improvising a lot. We had the script, you know, that, and we rehearsed the actors a lot, which I think is why the performances are so good. It's just a lot mm-hmm. of like great rehearsal yep. time. Um, but that there was a lot of improv- improvisation. And then, like you said, they tested it, but then they, um, it seemed like the, Geffen gave them enough money to go do like four more days of shooting and, uh, and come up with like an, an ending. And I think the way it ended now is like, yeah, wonderful. I love the, I like, like the, the circular ending. nature. Clean. Yeah. yeah. Super clean. Yeah. 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 Just like, uh, or, or dirty yeah. covered in plastic yeah, or dirty, but <laughs> clean. You know in what the way it reminds me of is, um, and that that part of the film, the the, the the bookends with the office, reminds me of um, what uh, Terry Gilliam's career could have been. This is, feels like restrained Gilliam, somewhat. Mm. If that makes any sense to you guys, like I if can, Gilliam yeah. wasn't indulgent. Well, yeah. Uh, well, God, it's so weird. But he said that he showed it to Gilliam and who gave him some ideas oh, for geez. it. Like he was showing it to to friends and stuff. It seemed no, like it was very like. Uh, there was a lot of like film school, like he was hanging out with a lot of young filmmakers, like the Chan is missing filmmaker and other people that were oh, like, Wayne, up Wayne, and coming. Really? And, yeah, 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 yeah Wayne, Wayne, and he, I love Wayne. So he was showing it to uh, people. He said that Gilliam gave him some ideas for it. Yeah, so <laughs> that's funny. It's funny that you that's brought that amazing. up. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I think Maybe everybody was, was chiming in a little bit because this was, you know, I'm sure Marty was out of his comfort zone, but in a good way, you know, in a way. That, yeah, yeah, totally. You know, was fresh to him. Maybe yeah. uh, just, I know we're running out of time, but can I just read my notes and then I'll shut up and let you guys talk. These are just notes that I wrote. Um, things don't work. Overflowing toilet, overdose, suicide, rat traps, bagel, bad dream. Anything? <laughs> just the tone of the, like the specifics of this film creating a general tone. Any thoughts? Yeah. yeah Overflowing yeah. toilet. Love that. 
Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's. it's but I mean, the tone, the overall, like impression, like it's uh, a nightmare. Like, because overflowing toilet at a stranger's house that you're supposed to be in for ten seconds—that's <laughs> literally that's a, well, out of a. You know nightmare. what it is? It's yeah. it's not only is it out of a nightmare, but it's out of an anxiety dream nightmare. You know, right. those are the types of mm-hmm. nightmares right. that are that, or that's what this movie is evoking is those types of like anxious anxiety driven dreams that you can't control them yes you know and i think that's a good detail of that you know for sure is being in someone's house when you think you finally figured it all out and then of course the toilet's over like you're about (laughs) to go home and you're like you know all's well and you go three two one out of here night's over (laughs) and then it's like some big calamity that could very well happen yeah and it would suck and be a big big problem and hey didn't that happen you. when you stayed at Ramy's? i thought didn't you do that didn't didn't you go oh my god that's and- right <laughs> on the day i was supposed to dude nicely played sir in new york city i'm flushing the toilet and uh you know i'm i'm flying out in like an hour <laughs> so that actually did happen to me I'm, fly- I'm going to jfk and like in an hour it's like what the fuck am i looking at yeah. <laughs> something i don't even remember what happened like um yeah. like some uh object fell in when it was flushing and it was like uh you're, was you're like you're, yeah you're like travel uh it was like a travel good bottle or something. call yeah, so that sorry. wasn't a dream that really happened no. okay yeah, that's exactly. funny um shout Marcus, out to the out, out of towners 1970 oh. film the out of towners yeah, not the remake me. with uh, Goldie Hawn. No, no, no. But like the out-of-towners has similarities. I would double feature that shit if you guys are curious about yeah. a, a good yeah. th- pairing with uh, yes. After Hours. It is. It's uh, a good call. Marcus, t- take us home on this one because this I is love, your... I can't, we can't go without mentioning one that Marty is, uh, has a cameo in this movie. And two, mm-hmm. uh, the, the tracking shot at the end is so good. Or like, I think it's a steady cam right through the office. Uh, and it's zipping up and down the aisles. And that once he lands at his seat, we're zipping right. up and down the aisles, seeing, uh, and it's changing perspectives and going. It's like an awesome music video at the end, set to like right. I don't know what it is, like a classical piece. You're talking about when the credits yeah. are rolling. Yeah, the I credits agree. are it's rolling. Coming. Yeah, and, and then, like there's this gray blue color scheme. Yeah, and something really interesting. I was looking that up today on YouTube, and someone has a video about it. Like, and hmm. there's and they pointed out that there is a cut at the end right before it's so it's big long tracking shot zooming around and then right before it cuts out it, it cuts to another shot and a, and a guy in a black cape or black coat walks through the frame and then it ends but they made a a, a choice to like cut that at that moment and um it seems i can't see the clock but uh it looks like it's really, it's a, it looks like maybe it was something like the guy's theory is like oh that, that this black figure is like death coming in because why else right. did they like cut right. edit it like this right, you know, right. on purpose they, they put this clip in there so i don't know, go back and watch the end and see i uh, know what you're talking make, about make, I, I, i've caught that it's kind of this boom, little jump cut at the figure. end yeah. okay yeah all right everybody <laughs> that we was... like we liked after hours here's some yeah. martin scorsese guys yeah i know that was... people don't really you know people aren't really doing that often you know like praising yeah, martin right. scorsese. but yeah, I'm, no, I'm gonna no, go out on a limb i'm gonna do that yeah there you go he's pretty everybody that was one fucking hour on after hours um our first hour film i think right and so our must be. third marty. marty yeah third marty yeah yeah so all right everybody thanks you for listening to one fucking hour and after hours um that was a lot of fun we got a lot of stuff in i mean i'm looking at notes and notes and notes here i'm sure you are Marcus. i know like, just so much same more. same yeah yeah, yeah. so, much, so much stuff it was lively discussion we got a lot yeah. in though we did. Is that all there is to an episode of One Fucking yeah. Hour? <laughs> well, let's keep dancing and yeah. move on to the next episode. Yeah, exactly. Which is... So let's talk about it. We're going to talk about that. Um, just want to quick before I do, 
Uh, obviously, I said it at the top of the episode, but make sure you are uh, subscribed uh, to the YouTube channel. We actually got two subscriptions while we were recording just oh now. Oh, my God. So it's in the air. We're dangerously, <laughs> dangerously close to the 1,000 to unlock our first ever live stream, which we will do and announce as soon as that happens. But yeah. let's talk about next week. So maybe by next week's episode, we will have crossed. We better have fucking crossed that threshold. So you'll probably uh-huh. find out next week what our first live program will be. Right. But let's talk about first what our next ep is going to be, uh, episode 64. We talked about it. We've teased this one for a while now. Uh, mm-hmm. We've been trying to, but now we're finally committing. Marcus, you haven't seen the movie yet, but I'm really excited for you, you to know. check it out. We're going to be taking another uh, spin with old uh, Oliver Stone. Okay, yeah. we're going to be doing... I got to say, this is a yeah. first. This is, this is a premier bizarre thing. And this should maybe be a, a, we should try to figure out if there's double features that to do this, um, mm-hmm. e- at least in the mind, even just double features. Yep. We're going from gravely panning a film by this guy the doors. to lauding him for a great film. <laughs> yes. Very rare. Very rare. It doesn't rare. happen all the time. That's right. But we're, yeah, we're, we're right. flipping the pancake. That's what that's they right. call it. <laughs> that's right. So p- podcasting uh, business. So it'll it'll be one fucking hour on W, the George W. Bush biopic that... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, 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 it's, it's, it's U-turn. <laughs> it's U-turn. Yeah, U-turn. Any given Sunday. <laughs> um, no, okay. So uh, oh, what it's going to be... No, I'm sorry. What it's going to be actually is an earlier Oliver Stone flick. We're going to be doing one fucking hour on talk radio from 1988, yeah. I believe, starring Eric Bogosian. Yeah. It's, it is Deep the vehicle... Cut. It is the vehicle for Eric Bogosian. But um, this is very interesting because not only is the movie great, um, and it was adapted from kind of a one-man play that Eric Bogosian did, but it's also, uh, it's very topical. I mean, it is about, you know, one of these racist militia, scary outfit groups um, who are anti-Semitic, you know, obviously. And um, and Eric Bogosian plays a Jewish late-night radio shock jock um, and this is based on a true story, man. Uh, uh, this actually did happen where he was assassinated by one of these groups. I'm a big fan of the <laughs> book that this is based on. So we're going to get into the real story, but also the movie and the great performances and great cameo from other character actors in this thing. So yeah, one fucking yeah. hour on talk radio will be next. Yeah. So it's really fascinating. It's, it's, it doesn't it's, sound it's, funny. I thought it was, I was thinking news radio this whole time. <laughs> Whoops. No, no, <laughs> it's, it is. Um, it has it's, funny it's a lot of fun. And Eric Bogosian, yeah. uh, you know, um, We've all seen Eric lately in Succession. He's the Bernie yep. Sanders character. And, yes. Uh, all right. Yes, yes. <laughs> He's a really fun character actor. Yes. And uh, yeah, the thing is, he was um, he was known in the 80s for being part of, uh, you know, kind of like a Swimming to Cambodia guy. Um, oh, God. I always forget his name. Swimming to Cambodia guy. Why do I forget um, his name? I'm always oh, thinking Garrison Keillor. Yes. Uh, but it's not that. Oh, whatever. Uh, Swimming to Cambodia. Yeah. There's like this trend. Of, it's, it's a very 80s thing. To have like an off-Broadway superstar, and that's what Bogosian uh, was back then. Spalding Gray. Are you talking about Spalding Gray? Yeah. Anyway, so uh, yeah, so um, it's actually a, you know it's another. It's funny actually. It's another small indie film from a very big '80s guy, or from mm-hmm. a very big director in general. Yeah. You know, and uh, mm-hmm. this is a very tiny film that he made, and mm-hmm. uh, God, I, I'm not crazy. It really it's between two pillars of oliver stone's career mm-hmm. it's between platoon and born on the fourth of july yep. and he made this tiny kind of after hours level film you know yeah and respect to him uh oliver stone's a uh 
what to do with the problem like Oliver Stone. I cannot make up my mind about him. He's yeah. he's he he's at the very least always interesting and dynamic. Um, even when he falls flat on his face, um, something's always going on with him. I'll just say yeah. that. So we're going to yeah. cover one of his uh, least known films. Yeah, well, yeah, one of his lesser known ones. It is a certifiable gem, as far as I'm concerned. I like and, it. And and the, the name I was searching for too is it's based on the real life shock jock, one of the proto Howard Stearns, this guy named Alan Berg. Who is a uh, you know uh, shot early you know seventies shock jock? Yeah. yeah, we'll get into it. Not quite Howard Stern. It's more like late night um, having long, interesting, deep conversations with your with your listeners. You Meaning know, he was before like, um, he was a before Howard Stern, I guess. You know, kind of a precursor. Yeah. No. Anyway, so, just it's a yeah. type. It's that kind of overnight um, truck driver listening to like um, long yes. conversations about like the state of affairs. Yes. You know. Yes, and that's yes. really and that's it is, it's a really great performance and a really dynamic character and it is based on a true story. So yeah, talk so. fucking talk radio, talk radio. So we're gonna uh, get into not it. news radio, not news radio, talk radio. <laughs> that was close. So, we almost yeah, did it. yeah, we're gonna do an hour on news radio. All right, so next week <laughs> one one fucking hour on talk radio, and then uh, we got Marcus's birthday episode coming up on the horizon. So I'm yeah. sure we'll hear more about that. Can't wait. We got a live show to do. <laughs> And then no we're going to be unveiling a massive project that we're going to be embarking on this top year. Secret. So, top secret. Top secret for now, but very excited about the top secret, big, large, massive, one fucking hour project. And it's not well, a so. prank this time. I was yeah. going to say. No more pranks Sorry. for the next few months. So. Yes. <laughs> no more pranks. No more pranks. It's all legit shit. So, uh, yeah. and sh- and, and Only and doing sh- real films. Yeah, exactly. Only real films. For for now. Yeah, for now. So, okay, everybody. Well, let's wrap it up. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a good rest of your week. And, of course, we can't leave you without your moment of zen. Tom already knows what it is. Okay, everybody. uh, Take care, and we will see you soon. Thanks. Goodbye. Laters. Bye. But everyone kept complaining that we need that needed some finality to it. So we came up with a lot of different ideas and had Joe thinking about it and uh, probably, and, and, and at this point, we also, Marty showed a lot of his friends, director friends, and I think uh, um, Spielberg and De Palma and different people had seen the, seen the picture. The ending that we didn't go with, that was the most unforgettable, is um, Verna Bloom says, I have a place where you can hide. I know where you can hide. She looks down, and I realize she means for me to climb inside her into her womb. And then we're on the um, West Side Highway, and she gives birth to me. And I'm like born out of her on the West Side Highway, and I'm covered in goop. I thought it would have been a kind of incredibly apocalyptic and uh, beautiful way to end the movie. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. That was wicked, man. <laughs>